Welcome to the show. This is my show. Thanks for tuning in. Here it comes again. Here we go. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Mike Watson. Mike, what is your age and what do you currently do for a living? Uh, I'm 39 years old and my day job is an electrical engineer for a battery energy storage system company. And at night, uh, part-time, I teach as a college professor. Nice. Mm -hmm. That sounds demanding. It's actually not too demanding. It's, um, you know, if it's it, things that are within your wheelhouse that you have a firm grasp on, um, it's, and again, something like teaching, if you've been doing it for a while and it's the same thing over and over, you get better at it, you sure. know, just like anything else. So, okay, cool. Yeah. So as far as the battery energy storage, do you do much hands-on? kind of stuff or is it mostly designing and yeah it's mostly designing at this point so we start from the paper and work our way through the design but then once a project is complete and actually lands in the field we get to go on site and you know kick the tires and mm. see what worked in the design and what right. didn't pan out so that the next iteration we can improve upon it perfect yeah that's what i like to see since i'm in construction i like to see when people actually come out to the site and you know physically looking and saying, okay, well, I guess we should have done this differently. Let's do that on the next one. Absolutely. If you're designing stuff and, you, and other people are going to install it, you want to know what could be improved in their processes too, right? So that's, I think that's one thing that's missing with engineers is you got to look upstream and downstream, not just where you sit, right? Mm -hmm. How does this affect everything else? Right. Do you have any electrical field experience at all? So like, it, like electrician work? Mm-hmm. I don't, only amateur for my own stuff. <laughs> sure. But you know how it works, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, help other people with their electrical work at their house and, you know, my own house and things like that. But right. not certified. And uh, so I don't, I don't touch that. Stuff. Yeah, not licensed, I guess. Correct. Right. Okay. Since you don't have field experience, do you think if you did have field experience that it would help with what you do now or not so much? Probably not because, you know, electrical engineering is such a wide field that it, it really is, you really can subdivide it into specific sub-industries, I would say. And that's okay. why, you know, to be a professional electrician, you need to be certified, mm -hmm. right? Um, and to do what I do, you don't necessarily need to be certified because they're, they're kind of two different worlds or let's say two different planes that sit in the same world. If that makes sense. So, so whenever you put something out, does anyone else verify electrical portions of it, components that, you know, for sure. So what, you know, where I sit is we will do the initial design and then you'll have somebody that's, you know, a certified professional in that aspect of that little, little corner mm -hmm. and they will review it and put their approval on it. I got mm -hmm. you. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That's interesting. So what's a typical day like? in that field right now? Yeah. So our manufacturing is in China and, um, you know, we're a global company, Trina Solar, second largest producer of solar panels in the entire world. And so, they, you know, they're vertically integrating and now going to the energy storage side of it. Right. And that's okay. where my division is. And we are stateside um, of, of trying to break into this market. 
But historically, they've already started to break into the market in China because their factory is in China. Mm -hmm. So a typical day for me is all over the place. I work remote. And so since I interface with China a lot, obviously, they're 13 hours ahead of us right now, you know, depending on time zone, 12 or 13. And so I need to communicate with them in real time, not mm -hmm. just over email, right? So a typical day for me is fragmented because I can have a meeting at 630 in the morning with China. And then I'll have the meetings throughout the day with other cohorts. And, and then at nighttime, again, same thing, I could have a meeting with them at, you know, nine o'clock at night because it's their daytime. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, I, I really enjoy that it's, it's not, you know, waking up at 7 a.m., taking a shower, getting your coffee, driving to work, sitting down at your desk, you know, working for eight hours and then, you know, getting off at five, then driving back home in everyday life. I get to wake up, you know, interface with my team, go through some design drawings, um, verify some things that we discuss, um, plan uh, projects. And then I get to, you know, go and make my breakfast or, or eat breakfast sure. or then I can go do chores or run errands and then I'll come back and do another meeting and, um, you know, do some more design work and then, you know, break off again and go do laundry or whatever I need sure, to do. And sure. then, and then come back at night and maybe I have a meeting at eight. So yeah. I'm at, you know, five thirty or six and just start working through my own personal work. And then when that meeting starts, I'm, I'm already engaged and I'm already have that, you know, sort of behind me of, of the work mindset mentality, you know, go through the meeting and then it's over at, could be over at nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. And then can watch TV or do whatever. So it kind of opens up the whole day for you. Yeah. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. But also still tethered to something. Mm -hmm. So the professor aspect, is that mostly business focused or what's the consensus of what you teach? Sure. So my undergraduate degree is electrical engineering. And in order to be a professor, you have to have some level of graduate work behind you in that field that you are teaching. Okay. So I have a, an MBA, a master's in business administration, so I teach business courses. Gotcha. There's an umbrella, you know, of business in general for teaching is an umbrella, and underneath it you have all of these different courses that you teach or you, you can teach. So some courses that I teach are negotiation, conflict management, communication, team building, leadership, so all under the umbrella of business. Okay. And is that umbrella provided to you by uppers? You know, this is your broad umbrella of things you can talk about, or they have something that they push at all, or is that kind of all in your choosing? So the way it works is they assign a, the book for the course. Okay. And then your job is to walk through the book. So gotcha. for me, each week I go through a chapter of the book. Now, having said that, when I was going through college, I would have, for instance, a professor who was teaching us something about, you know, I think organizational behavior or something like that. Mm. And at that time, in a class of 50 students, um, this is graduate school, so I had some work experience, professional experience behind me. And I was, I had been managing people, direct reports for many years and it's in corporate America. And so I'm, you know, I was very well versed in that. And of course I'm not perfect. I don't know anything. And that's why I went in school. Right. right. But the professor was saying, okay, well, you know, if you have direct reports and we go through this chapter and this is how you're supposed to treat the situation and this is how you're supposed to react to these situations and do this and do that. And I remember thinking, you know, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Because I can tell you, I deal with this a lot and that's, you know, that's not how I see things shaking out and maybe not the best approach. And so after giving it some thought, what I realized is that 
you know, this college professor has a PhD, graduated high school, went straight to get their bachelor's degree, got their bachelor's degree, went straight to get their master's degree, got their master's degree, went straight to get their PhD, got their PhD, went straight into teaching, had never been in corporate America, had never had direct reports. Mm. And so they're just reading a book and they're trying to tell a class of, sure. you know, you know, students, this is how you're supposed to approach the situation, but you've never done it. Right. Yeah. I just found it a little bit disingenuous at the time. I mean, great professor, personally, good person, but just the situation. Right. And I, I was like, this is, you know, kind of weird. So what I enjoy about teaching is again, I go through the lecture and I go through the book, but I also give them real world experience. Mm. This is what I actually haven't, I've hired, I've fired, I've, you know, seen a lot of crazy things at work unethically. <laughs> I've seen, uh, I've, I've, you know, worked cross-functionally with HR vice presidents, and I've been in so many different positions. I've had direct reports. I've had indirect reports. So I love the fact that I can go in there and say, okay, this week we're going to go through this chapter and we go through the PowerPoints or whatever. And then I can pause and say, okay, well, in the real world, this is a situation that actually happened. And these, I mean, let's discuss this. And what do you think happened? And what, what would be your approach? And then I can tell them this is what actually happened. And this was the result, right? Yeah. So we do have sort of, let's say, a set of instructions that we need to abide by, which is the book. But we also have free range to, you know, present that and teach it in a way that we feel would best be retained by the students. And that's sure. my approach. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. That's why I usually ask about field experience and stuff when it comes to engineering, things like that, because I feel like... A lot of people that I see that come out to the job sites, just the way they look at things and sometimes the questions they ask makes me think, what is your actual experience? Are you working out of a book only? Have you ever set foot on job sites and actually put stuff together beforehand to know that that's physically possible? And I'm really surprised by some people. And just like you said, could be a good professor, a good person, but they're lacking that one thing that really connects with people and gives them something long lasting to use with that knowledge, you know, to link with real life events and real world applications instead of just, well, the book says that it works. So that's what we're going to go off of. <laughs> Things are so much different on paper than they are in, in, you know, tangible when you touch it. And I had the benefit of before I went to school, I started off in a machine shop. So I learned how to mill and how to lathe and how to use a welder and nice. really work with my hands. And then after I did that for a couple of years, I moved over into the electronics department of the same company. And, you know, I, I picked up a schematic and I had to populate a board and I had to solder and I had to do all these things. And, mm-hmm. and, and it was after that point, then I decided to go to school for engineering. And you get into these courses and you have to take these these labs where they teach you how to solder. And I'm like, bro, I mean, I could do this with my eyes closed asleep, you know? And so you're sitting there with these other students who have never touched a drill in their life and they don't know how to change their own oil. Mm-hmm. And they're being taught how to use a soldering iron, <laughs> right? And these yep. are people that are gonna go out into the industry and design things, right? So I had the benefit of, of, you know, of that real world experience that I can carry on now through what I do as my profession. Yeah, that's great. Do you do all the teaching in person or is that on computer? Both. I do, I will teach online courses and in-person courses. I really, man, I really love teaching in person. Online is difficult because you don't have that feedback loop, right? You don't know, are they laughing at me or are they laughing at my jokes? Do they hate what I'm talking about? I mean, you're, it's like talking to a wall and you don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, is this effective? Is it working? Is it not working? So might as well be recording a video and just sending it to them at that point. That's what, that's what I do. That's what I do essentially. And it's, it's, you know, it's difficult. (laughs) In person or online, how many people do you teach at once? Sure. So one class will be about 30 students 
and I typically teach about one class a semester. And sometimes, like for instance, this semester, it'll be the same two classes, but one's in person, one's online, right? So 30 students in person and 30 students online, but it's the same course and we're going through at the same time. So it's, you know, not that big a deal. Right. Do you have any specific fears or goals when it comes to how your students perceive you um, in comparison to you talking about your old professor? I, I don't and you know, I might have at the beginning, but as the semesters and years have gone on, getting that feedback from students and they do, you know, professor evaluations where they sure. can anonymously give you feedback. And then after the semester's over, you get that feedback from uh-huh. them and you get to read it. And I don't mean to brag, but man, I always get like five stars and great comments back. And it tells me that I'm doing something right. right. And on, on top of that, I tell my students, I said, look, I have been through a lot of school in my life and I've had a lot of different professors, some really amazing and some not so amazing. And so sure. I, what I've tried to do from my own approach is take what was good from the good professors and leave what was bad from the bad professors that I have. And so mm-hmm. that's what I try to implement. And I tell them like, look, man, it wasn't too long ago. I was sitting right where you're sitting. So I know <laughs> what drives you and, and what was enjoyable for you. And, you know, part of that is, being passionate about what you speak. And if you listen to anybody, right, just the passion that comes from them keeps you engaged. Mm-hmm. If they don't care and they don't they don't care what they're talking about, then you don't care what they're talking about, sure. right? So yeah. those types of things, yeah. Since you do this part-time pro- professoring, um, would that be professing? <laughs> How much time would you say that you focus on prep work for classes? Yeah, sure. At this point, I, so I've been teaching for, oh man, I don't know, four years, I think. At this point, I will prep maybe one hour. So I, I teach one night a week. Okay. So the day of the lecture, I will prep for maybe one hour. And then I'll just go. That's not bad. Yeah. If you get five stars, then you're, you're doing good. <laughs> well, these are, again, these are courses that I've taught over. If it's a new course, I would obviously spend more time prepping. on Sure, sure. You know, two, three hours before. So Yeah. Do you ever incorporate everyday interactions as far as communication goes, like with relationships, people, family, anything like that as a example or, you know, relating to communicating, not just business. Absolutely. And what I tell my students is the things that you're going to learn in this course, even though it's business communication, you can transpose it onto your personal life as well. There's so many aspects. I mean, yes, you know, there is a difference between business communication and personal communication, Mm -hmm. but at a fundamental level, they're derived from the same place, right? Right. What I tell my students is, you know, I I believe we're wonderfully and beautifully made. However, we're also evolutionary hardwired with these certain things that we're still animals, right? We still act like animals in a certain way. We have urges like animals do, right? The difference is we have the the power to, you know, let's say decide or or choose if we're going to, you know, follow those urges or not. And so with communication, if you look at sort of a, a They've studied like packs of wolves or packs of gorillas when they hunt. It's at night and they'll do um, an aerial view, bird's eye view, and they will watch these animals hunt at night. Obviously, they use night vision. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty amazing because these animals, as a pack, 
they will have the pack at large, but then up ahead, they'll have a scout and then they'll have one to the left to flank. They'll have one to the right to flank and they'll all move as a group through the trees and the ground, um, on the ground, on the ground, and they'll catch their prey and they, this whole strategy unfolds and it's beautiful and it's amazing to watch. And you think that's so complicated and complex. Mm -hmm. They do all this and they don't say one word. (laughs) How is that possible? Yeah. How is that possible? It's because, you know, we communicate, 93% of communication is nonverbal. Only 7% is the words that we actually say. So with animals, it's no different, right? So they use their body language. They use, you know, how they interact with each other. We are the same way, right? And I don't think people realize that. You are always transmitting information, always. Even if you're not present, you're still transmitting information mm-hmm. because you're not present, right? Mm-hmm. It was the famous quote, if you choose not to decide, you still made a choice. Sure, yeah. Right? So communication is, it's, it's the same way, um, you know, and I go back to 93% is nonverbal, and that doesn't mean just body language. That means what's the medium of, of which you choose to communicate? Do you choose to communicate over text, over email, over in person? You know, what is it that says something about you? Right. If it's text, the way that you text, the words that you use, or if, you know, today people will say, what are you doing? And they'll, they'll say, they'll spell the letter or the word what, and then they'll send the letter R and then letter U. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? That says something about you, that the fact that you're using letters, you're not spelling out the word. The fact that you didn't put a period at the end, the, the fact that you didn't capitalize the W at the beginning, the fact that you didn't write a whole sentence, that says something about you. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it really does. Um, when you decide to respond to a text message or to an email, you know, I found in, in, again, I tell my students, even though this is business, think about it, you know, I, I went back and I looked at, you know, text messages. Okay. And I decided, I made it a, a personal principle of mine that if there's any, let's say contention or conflict or disagreement over text, I refuse to move forward with that discussion until I see that person face to face. Mm-hmm. Because I look back and I thought, how many times have I resolved a conflict over text message? Mm -hmm. And for me personally, the answer was zero. So I said, okay, well, going forward, I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. And it can be painful at first because people are like, why are you not responding to me? (laughs) Like, because this is important. Right. Right. And so that sort of thing applies to business as well as your personal life. Right. Sure. Um, so anyways, there's a whole other litany of dynamics that, that go into communication. What's fascinating is not just the way that you talk, but the intonation that you use, the register of your voice, mm-hmm. um, the pauses that you use, um, listening is so important and is, I think is a, is a lost art. Um, you know, there are two types of people, essentially. The, when a conversation starts, it's a ping pong back and forth, right? And when, when we talk about listening and people don't listen, you know, there are some people who will talk and then listen, but there are others who will talk and then wait to talk, Mm -hmm. right? So again, that overlaps in, you know, all aspects of life, whether it be business or personal. So those are just some, you know, small things that I talk about with my students and that I personally have applied in my life as well as business. So that's cool. We experienced that last night. We went out to eat with some people. It was a large group and we only knew as two out of 20 or whatever it was that we were there. And I have a habit of looking away and it's not because I don't want to look at you. So I just feel awkward sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's just like an involuntary thing. I find myself looking away, but we had one guy that was sharing his experience and he was so passionate about it. He was genuine, mm-hmm. but 
another person walked into the conversation. So there's three people talking to this guy and he's still overbearing with, well, I did this and we did this and this was amazing. And then someone else would share something and he, I could just see it in his face where he's waiting for his turn. I mean, not to dog anybody. It's just, it's, sure. it's interesting how people react and it makes me wonder how I was perceived last night. How did they think I was? Did I not say enough? Was I, you know, cold shouldered or something? I mean, I have no idea. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that they're doing that, right? Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought it up because what I tell my students is, you know, a good, uh, let's call it a party trick, but I correlate it to business. You know, all business is based on relationships at a fundamental level and all relationships are based on communication at a fundamental level. So if you want to get good at relationships or let's say better or better in business, you need to get better at communication. So what I tell them is, look, if you want people to really like you, it's very easy. When you first meet somebody, we have a natural tendency to talk about ourselves. Again, that's just one of those evolutionary hardwire things. And in general, in general, we just have a natural tendency to talk about ourselves. So let's say that I recently traveled somewhere and I just met you for the first time. And I say, hey, I'm Mike. And you say, I'm Rusty. And, and you say, oh, I just got back from, from Spain. My natural reaction is to go, oh, that's awesome. I just went to Portugal. That, so all mm -hmm. of a sudden I've taken that, the subject away from you and placed it on me. That's just our natural tendency. So I challenge my students. I say, I challenge you. When you first meet somebody, don't talk about yourself. Just listen. Even if you have an urge because you can relate, don't say anything. Just listen and be engaged. And what will happen is you can meet somebody for the first time and have this 20-minute conversation and never say anything about yourself. Just ask them questions. And then you'll walk away from that conversation and that person will be like, man, I, I really like them. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about them. I really like them. <laughs> and, and it's true. And it happens, right? Mm -hmm. And so there is this art of listening. And I've met people who are like that, who are, I, I've walked away from the conversation. Man, I was like, man, I really like them. And I think I replayed the conversation. Well, they didn't say anything about themselves. They were just engaged in what I was saying and who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. If that were me, I could also picture myself later going, man, I didn't even give him a chance to talk. Or I, I feel bad because I didn't ask, which that happens to me a lot where somebody says, you know, how have you been? Mm -hmm. And I'll say how I've been and I don't reciprocate it. I mean, not every time, but I realized that later after I'm playing the conversation over again in my head. And I think, oh, I hope they don't think I was insincere or, you know, not considerate of them and what, what's going on with them. Sure. And I'm sure it can be perceived that way, but obviously it's not intentional. But it is great if you're mindful enough to catch yourself in the moment. And like you say, especially if you feel that urge, someone says, hey, I just got back from a trip to Spain and you just got back from Jamaica yourself or something. I mean, it's just like a, like you said, it's a natural inclination to want to relate to somebody. You feel like you're making a connection. So you want to reinforce that connection, but it's not necessary. Right. And you could do it five minutes from then whenever they ask you, hey, what have you been up to? Exactly. Now I can tell you, I just got back from Jamaica and it, I can see that being a lot more... I don't know, just a better connection, mm -hmm. authentic. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. It is. I love it. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by social dynamics. I'm fascinated with, you know, subset of economics of, of power and influence and why people make the decisions that they make and how they make them. And then, you know, you can use that to your benefit, maybe not in an evil way, but as a, you know, like you said, a relatable way or at a deeper level to to urge people to do better or be better or it's part of being a manager or, or a leader. So the difference between a manager and a leader for me is a manager is a title, a leader, you can be at any position, right? You can sure. be the janitor and you can still lead people, mm -hmm. right? And I tell my students, a good leader creates good leaders. So, so my ultimate goal is 
for, you know, at the end of this course, for all of you got into the world and be good leaders who create more good leaders. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the goal. I like that goal. What's your preferred method of communication in most interactions? Oh, face to face. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is interesting. I, I, I realized I am an introvert and, you know, an, another misconception is that people think that if you're an introvert, you don't have the ability to communicate or carry a conversation. That's not true at all. It takes energy for you mm -hmm. to engage with people and you need to, at some point you get tired and you need to go back into your your cave and you need to re-energize your batteries yeah. and then you can go back out into the world and, and do it all over again. But, but the opposite is true for extroverts. They get their energy from engaging with people. Mm -hmm. So they, in order for them to recharge their batteries, they have to interact with people. So I won't say I'm very much an introvert, but I am an introvert at the same time. I would much prefer to engage with people face to face. And as far as emails, texts and stuff like that goes, just you personally, if you were to compose a text mm -hmm. to somebody, we'll just say they did ask you, what are you doing with, mm -hmm. you know, letters and everything? Do you respond grammatically correct and, you know, almost like it's an email or do you mimic that type of response or? Great, great question. As a personal philosophy, I'm always grammatically correct with my text messages. And this is important. And I tell my students this as well. It's because it's this reflection of you. So there's a couple things at play here. Number one, if you're going to send me a text message, and I've had students who text me, and I give this example, and this one student texted me and said, hey, prof, are you sending the SG? Is, are you sending the study guide out? So I could read, you know, everything that they were saying, and mm -hmm. I can understand it, and I can dissect it, and I can decipher it, and it's fine. But the way that they wrote... And for me, the, I don't, I don't know if lazy is the correct word, but the apathy, the, it doesn't matter. I just need information kind of aspect of it. I don't look down upon the student. I don't think anything differently from the student. However, if the student were to come back to me at a different time and say, so I'm looking for an intern position at your company. Do you have anything open? And my, you know, just from that text message, I don't know the gender of this person. I don't know the age of this person, but just the way that they are writing do I want somebody like that working for me? Mm -hmm. As something as small as a text message. For me, the answer is no. So I look at that and I say, okay, whenever I text people, I'm going to write a complete sentence. I'm going to use a period. I'm going to be grammatically correct. I'm going to do all these things because that's, again, I am sending information about myself. But here's the biggest thing about it, right? If you were to send out a text message to your professor to say, you know, are you sending out the study guide? If you text, hey, prof, letter R, letter U, sending the SG, that probably took you seven seconds, maybe. Now, if you were to go and write a full sentence, hi, professor, I hope you're doing well today, period. I'm just curious, are you going to send out the study guide later this evening? Question mark. That probably took you 20 seconds, maybe, right? So an additional 15 seconds, let's just call it 15 so that's too much for you? That's too much effort? That's too much work? Really? Uh, still under 60 seconds. <laughs> still under 60 seconds. And you can watch a, you know, you can watch a TikTok video that's three minutes long, but you can't, Jeez. you can't spend an extra 15 seconds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And again, I, I don't look down upon people, but what I'm saying is that says something about you. And so for me, what I tell my students is like, look, if you wake up in the morning, you roll out of bed and you're like, oh, I need to go to let's say I need to go to Nebraska Furniture Mart or whatever, whatever, mm -hmm. to pick a store, right? 
normally what you do is you're like, okay, well, I need to change my pajamas. I need to put on some pants, put on some shoes, put on a shirt, comb my hair, run a brush through my hair, brush my teeth, whatever. And then you go to the store. Why do you do that? Because you don't want other people to look at you in your pajamas and perceive you as somebody less than you are, mm -hmm. right? So why would you do that with a text message? You're doing the same thing. You are sending information out into the world about who you are. Mm -hmm. So that's, to me, that's the pajamas of text messages, right? That's a great, great <laughs> way to look at that. Explain that. Yeah. So for me personally, everything I put out into the world, whether it be a text message, whether it be a podcast or music or, or you know, anything, I make sure that I represent myself the best way that I think I can at that moment. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's my philosophy. That's awesome. I feel the same way. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I still don't even do LOL my, myself. I will type out ha ha or ha 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 because I'm, I'm trying to emphasize that I'm laughing, even though somebody might just say they might perceive it the same as I perceive LOL. I, I don't know. LOL to me always just seems kind of like a huh. <laughs> uh, dude, the equivalent I'm... <laughs> of I'm barely cracking a smile and I'm just acknowledging that that might have been funny. Yeah, uh, I'm the same way with LOL. I always thought it was strange because... I'm not laughing out loud, so why would I put that? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so I do, I do the H-A-H-A, -H -A, you know. I utilize some of my uh, shortcuts on my mm -hmm. iPad, iPhone, whatever. I actually have LOL as a shortcut for ha 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 ha. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's my way around that. Go, real quick, last thing to, to say about that, about the text messages and, you know, writing things grammatically. If you decide that, you're go, that you realize that you do this, that you just write shorthand, don't write full sentences, or whatever, you make a conscious decision, I'm going to go ahead and start writing full sentences. It doesn't matter who it is. I'm just going to start, you know, being better at it. At first, it's clunky, and it's difficult, and it takes time, and you got to think about it, you got to process it. But just like everything else, once you start doing it more and more and more and more and more, well, the time that you spend doing that's going to go down. It's going to be less and less and less, because mm -hmm. you're better at it, right? Just like everything else. So, it's just like everything else, working out, eating right. It's difficult at first, but the more you do it, the better you get at it. So, mm -hmm. Especially if you see any sort of results that are remotely positive. Yeah, it does take time, but it really doesn't take that much time, especially nowadays, because you can just talk into your phone, even though it's not always accurate. You're still saving time by, you could say three sentences, go back and correct two misspelled words or autocorrected words or something, and still be done in under a minute i'm almost certain absolutely versus i don't know just typing something really fast because to me once again no judgment just like you say but you do have some sort of feel like i mean maybe they're super busy or maybe they just don't care and if they don't care why are you even asking anyway i don't know mm -hmm. it, it's 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 interesting because mm -hmm. even if you are pretty elaborate in your wording and sentence structure and everything else, you still could interpret something incorrectly through text because there's no emotion there. Any emotion you sense is usually going to be just a guess anyway. Absolutely. There's no way to really determine anything. So absolutely. Yeah. A voice or a face-to-face -face is definitely the best if you want to properly communicate. Yeah. Because, you know, we have, <laughs> so we have five senses, right? Sight, smell, touch, sound and taste, right? So the more that you can use those senses to understand and decipher the message, the better the message can be received, mm -hmm. right? So over text, you have one, 
just sight. I'm just looking at, I have no other sensory channels, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about it, when you meet somebody in person, let's say for the first time, and you walk in and you shake their hand, you say, hi, I'm Mike, right? You've used four of those sensory channels. Sight, because you can see them. You can see what they look like, how they're dressed, the micro expressions in their face. They're, they're smiling if they're looking away, looking in the eye. Um, touch. Their handshake, is it firm? Is it loose? Is it sloppy? Is it straight? Uh, are they pulling away? Are they being overpowering, right? And then there's sound, their voice. They're saying, hi, I'm Mike. Uh, do they sound angry? Are they excited? Um, do, are they, you know, apathetic, right? Mm -hmm. And then here's one that people don't think about is smell. You can smell people, right? And, and, and you know, not... <laughs> You don't want to go up and sniff people all the time. But what I'm saying is <laughs> legitimately, if you have, if you're wearing cologne or perfume, or if you haven't showered <laughs> and you walk in the room and somebody can smell that, that that's giving off information, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny that those five century channels, they can overpower other ones. Mm -hmm. So I know that you've, we've all had this experience where you go and you're talking to somebody and they're saying stuff to you, but they smell so bad you cannot think mm. and you can't focus on what they are saying because the smell is overpowering you because it makes you uncomfortable. And you want to get away from it. <laughs> exactly. So that's, that's also important, right? Again, that's part of business and relationships, communication, all that, you know, you, you need to, personal hygiene is a thing mm -hmm. and you need to pay attention to that because it plays into what you're doing. Yeah. Since you have two young ones, mm -hmm. do you try to instill good communication and such with them or not so much yet? Absolutely. So we have a natural tendency when we see a baby or a toddler, we go into what I call a mommy voice, like, oh, little witty baby, how are you? So, yeah. so precious. And that's cute and all, all that. But what I've learned is you're teaching the child to talk like that <laughs> inadvertently. <laughs> So I've been very conscious to speak proper when I interact with my daughters or when I talk to them or so that that's one aspect of the communication that I've always tried to be mindful of is to not do a baby mommy voice hmm, when I'm okay. talking to them. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I never really thought about that. That <laughs> does make total sense to kind of close out that little section there. Do you have an example of something that you I guess that you would really stress the importance of when it comes to communication? I mean, I'm sure we've talked about most of it already, but... Yeah, I believe we've talked about most of it. I think that one thing that I would stress is, you know, just the fact of talking to people. I've, I've worked with engineers, you know, side by side for so many years, and they are historically introverts, asocial, and... It is like pulling teeth to get them to talk to somebody. And they're like, oh, I said, well, did you call them? Well, no, I, I'm, I sent them an email. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, this is important. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a strongly worded email. Okay, well, yeah. picking up the phone and calling somebody, right? So um, I, I think stressing the importance of, number one, talking to people. Because <laughs> it's not, again, this is not just business, but this goes into a whole wider aspect of the world of you see these things on TV or hear them on the radio, but when you go out and actually meet people, you know, that changes, you know, what, what you're being fed and, and people can be great. But then the second that I would stress is like we talked about is listening, just listening, mm -hmm. not being so impulsive to talk about yourself. The main thing that I would want to stress is that communication is important and it just makes sense. 
you just don't understand what someone is thinking, what their intentions are, and just a little bit of communication can solve lots of misunderstandings for one thing and unnecessary stress, unnecessary suffering. Mm -hmm. It just makes sense. I was thinking about this concept the other day and yeah, you know, about how communication is so fundamentally important on many different levels in, in the business book, you you open it up chapter one, like the first sentences, you know, data shows that effective communication is the leading indicator of financial success. And I repeat that. I tell students that like two or three times. I'm like, I want you to hear this. I want you to listen to what this is saying. But then I was th thinking about this concept the other day about how important communication is in life, obviously, but then in relationships, right? It's the building block of relationships mm -hmm. and that's how you build trust. And that's how you, um, let's say, foster a healthy relationship is through communication, opening communication. But part of that is, you know, having the psychological safety to be able to communicate, right? Now, what I was thinking about the other day is I've thought in the past how important financial literacy is. And it's something that all of us touch when we get you know, as we're adults, we all deal with financial situations. We have to take out loans. We have to pay our bills. We have to, we should be saving. What do you invest? Like, how do you open an account? What does the stock market do? How does that work? You know, mm -hmm. how are people getting rich off the stock market? What is that? And what does this mean? What are dividends? And I always thought it's so important. Like, why aren't they teaching this in school to kids? Mm -hmm. Like, financial literacy. It's so important because everybody deals with it. So what I was thinking about the other day was the same thing with communication. And what I mean by that is every single one of us, we have relationships with other people, whether it be our parents, our spouses, our friends, our coworkers, we all have to communicate and they're all relationship based. So why are we, how come I've never taken a course as a kid on how to effectively communicate? Mm -hmm. It's crazy to me. And I was just thinking about the other day, I was like talking this through and I was like, well, what about relationships? And a lot of people don't know, you know, what a good relationship looks like or how a good relationship should operate. And I thought, well, you can't teach that in school because obviously it'll offend a lot of people and <laughs> what, Sure. but my girlfriend, she, and I was telling her about this and she said, yeah, but you can teach communication. I said, oh, that's actually really good. It's really interesting because you don't have to teach how relationships should work, but you can teach communication. And so I teach at a college level and I thought, man, you know, we really should incorporate a course of effective communication mm -hmm. in a, at a younger age. So definitely let's change things up here. Sure. Music. All right. Let's go back to the era when we initially crossed paths, mm -hmm. which was thanks to music. Mm -hmm. Can you go through how the musical side of you started and where it has taken you thus far? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I, I remember like it was yesterday, I was with my grandmother and she would go to garage sales and she would resell them, you know, the things that she purchased at a garage sale, she would resell them at a flea market over the weekend. That was like what she did for a living. And so I was in tow as usually on the weekend at a garage sale and I saw this guitar and I was just enamored. And I said, I called her mom. I said, mom, can you buy me that guitar? And she asked the lady how much it was and, and she told her and she was, my grandmother was thinking about it. And I said, mom, please, I was begging her, please, please. She goes, she looked at me, she goes, boy, are you going to learn how to play? I said, yes, mom, I promise I will learn how to play. She said, okay. And she bought it for me. And I sat there and I was, you know, picking around on it. 
And then I happened to, you know, shortly after, maybe, I don't know how much longer after, I moved to Plano and met a group of friends and they all played the guitar. And uh, or all were learning how to play the guitar. And I thought, how awesome is this? I have a guitar in my closet. So I took my guitar out and I took it over to their house and they're showing me stuff. And, you know, we're playing, you know, Green Day. They're teaching me Green yeah. Day. They're teaching me a little piece to a Nine Inch Nails song. They're teaching me a little piece to a Nirvana song. And it was incredible to me. How is it possible? I mean, it's just, it was so amazing to me to hear these songs on the radio mm-hmm. and fumble my way through at the time to my ears. I was like, it sounds just like it <laughs> <laughs> on this broken garage sale guitar that would, should have been in a dumpster or whatever. Yeah. And it's just, it was always fascinating to me and I wanted more. I just wanted to, I wanted to learn more and more and more. And I would just... And, you know, since the beginning, I would just start writing stuff because I didn't know how to play. So, and I didn't have a book to read of, you know, how to learn a song and I didn't have the internet at that time. So I would just start writing stuff on my own. And, you know, it's funny at the time, um, my mother, she despised anything that was not Christian music and was not allowed. And so here I come, I finally got an, a, a, electric guitar and I got my first little amp that was like one, I don't know, eight inch speaker or whatever. It had a distortion button on it. Yeah. And oh no, that was not good. That was <laughs> not good. But I wanted to learn so bad that I took it out into the garage and I went to the very end of the garage. And mind you, this was in the winter. I had on this big, you know, the starter jackets that we used to wear, oh, the yeah. big fluffy starter jacket. So I would sit there and I plugged in, I got an extension cord and ran my amp, you know, my amp at the all the way to the very end of the garage where it's freezing. My fingers were so cold. And then when you first play the guitar, you haven't built up the calluses on your fingers. So it hurts. I mean, it physically hurts, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to play so bad and I wanted to just learn that I would, I would sit there for hours and I turned the amp down the lowest possible volume. So she couldn't hear. And I would sit there and I would learn, you know, just teach myself and play all these things. And I got a hold of a book on how to play the guitar and I just uh, fumbled my way through some short notes. So anyways, from there just kind of, you know, took off and I was off to the races and just fully engaged in it and writing music and playing music and um, loving music and the guitar specifically, I guess let's I rephrase that loving the guitar and playing the guitar and listening to the guitar. Cause I've always loved music. And uh, you know, obviously from there you start a band you know, as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, had that ran its cycle and fast forward, you know, I had a, I had a child at a young age, I was 21. And so all of a sudden you have all these other, other responsibilities, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can't be out there trying to be a rock star when you have <laughs> a, a, an infant and you're good. Yeah. <laughs> Some people do. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that started to take a backseat role. And as my daughter got older, um, obviously you get more involved and more things happening and more moving parts. And um, so I really put the guitar down for a long time, probably like 15 years. Wow. You know, but it's, uh, you know, I listened to a podcast recently that you had with Brent and he said something that resonated with me. And I think he's still there actually right now in this, in the situation of, he said, you know, I, I, I put it down, but it's something that's, I, I feel that it's still there. It's just dormant and it's going to come out at some point. That's exactly what happened with me. I put it down and it laid dormant for a long time. And I finally got to a point in my life two years ago where 
I can take my foot off the gas and start and think, oh yeah, so what are some hobbies that I want to enjoy? Mm-hmm. And my guitar's there and I, I pick it up and it's just been a snowball effect. I mean, a chain reaction. And so over the past two years, it's just, you know, just been a thousand miles an hour playing and writing and recording. And of course now rewind 15 years ago, we didn't have the technology we have now. Mm-hmm. So now it's even more, and I have what's called adult money. So, <laughs> so I can buy a guitar if I want it, and you know it's yeah. it's great. So that's that's where I'm at. So as far as technological advances and everything, I guess have you delved into like guitar amp simulators and things like that, where you can just record a direct signal and do whatever you want to with it instead of having to go through an amp? Absolutely, and it's it's so wild where we're at today. Not only that, but you know. You know, you look at a guitar amplifier head, and it's basically comprised of two components, the preamp and the power amp, right? The preamp makes the tone of that particular amp head sound. The power amp makes it loud. That's what pushes the volume through the speakers. Mm-hmm. So if you look at an amplifier head, it has, you know, like I said, those two components. So if you move from one amplifier head to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other, they all have different preamps because they have different sounds, whether it be an orange or a uh, Fender or a Marshall or whatever. But they all have a power amp. And a power amp is just pushing power. So what's different? Not much. It's pretty much the same. So what companies are doing, which is fascinating, is they're taking their preamp section out of their head and they're saying, hey, you can just buy this. If you have a power amp at home or you can purchase an independent power amp even, right? And I mm-hmm. think it's great because you're like cutting down the cost in, in half, I recently looked at uh, a power amp head and it was, I don't know, let's say $1,300, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I don't know. That's, that's a lot of money, whatever. I said, oh, or, or we have the same, but it's a, it's a preamp. You just buy it by itself. And I already have an amp head, but the preamp is like $500. And I'm like, okay, I can do that, right? And I, I buy it. And so I think it's a really good marketing move that companies are moving towards. Um, but then aside from that, the, the whole modelers, oh my God, man, it's, it's crazy how far digital signal processing has come in 20 years. And I remember thinking, you know, when we first started playing back in 2000 and you look at these pedal boards and it's all digital. And again, to your ears, like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. You, you listen to that today and you're like, what? And that, that's a kid's toy. Yeah. Right. But today you cannot tell the difference. Yeah. It's incredible. So you could tell a difference if you have the two right next to each other. That's Mm -hmm. what I will say. If you have a cab and an amp and, you know, your overdrive pedals or whatever, like old school setup, just right in front of you and the digital, it's pretty close. But you can tell something's missing, but it's too close to be that concerned about to me. It's just, it's so convenient to be able to have less to take to a show if you wanted to, for one thing. And it could double as recording equipment so easily. Mm-hmm. And it's just so easily manipulated, manipulatable, <laughs> manipulative, Mali- manipulative. Oh. So yeah, it's too cool. I, I took, it took me probably a few years after everyone else was getting into, I still don't use the, what is it? Guitar, uh, little tab program, guitar pro. Uh, is that what it is? I don't know. I don't know. People would write stuff with that, you know, <laughs> okay. tab their music out or they would write songs like that. I oh. never got into that, but it was that thing. And then also all the simulated mm-hmm. cabs and mm-hmm. simulated amps and all that kind of stuff that people got into. And I was probably three or four years late to that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's pretty much all I use for recording at this point. I mean, I have that 
Axe 8, Axe Effects, which that doubles as a live thing because it's a foot pedal, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I use that for monitoring for the most part when mm -hmm. I'm recording, and I'll just record the direct signal, and then I can do whatever the hell I want to with it afterwards because it's just a clean signal coming through. You and I have a problem, and our problem is that we can tell a difference if you put the two side by side. <laughs> the rest of the world... Oh, yeah. They, yeah. They, so you're, you look at this and you say, okay... I'm 80% of the way there versus what the cost is. Or I'm 95% of the way there versus the cost. Like, well, you, you got you to gotta really, you know, gauge that effectively or, or navigate that effectively, right? Mm -hmm. So I have an XFX3. And, dude, I could sit there eight hours straight and play. I, I Literally, if I, I if I retire tomorrow, I would just make music all day, every day. Yeah. I, I love it. I can't. I, it's just like a kid in a candy store. If you, it, It's so amazing to me. So so your X8, my XFX3, if you walk into the biggest music store in the world, you have all these hundreds of amps and cabs and mics and pedals and all that. You put all that in a box. Well, just imagine you're still in that store. Imagine how much time you would spend if you own that store to just plug into everything and every different sound and every different configuration and turn every knob, mm -hmm. but you can do that at your desk with this thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's a, it's a time suck, but it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I can certainly imagine. So after, you know, not doing it for so long, you have all this time to make up for with, you know, all the creative ideas that you might've had at the time and just kind of pushed to the side and definitely just resurfacing in a way. Yeah, definitely look at, music, making, writing, making music, playing the guitar in a different way than it did when I was 18, which hopefully most of us look at anything we did at 18, we look at it through a different lens as we're older, right? Oh yeah. 20 years later. Um, so yeah, even that I've been this time around a real student of songwriting. And, nice. I, and I don't mean learning sheet music. I don't know how to read sheet music. I don't mean learning scales or chord progressions because I don't know those things. Um, but I've, more so like listening to your favorite songs in the world and thinking, what, what is it about this that makes it so compelling? Mm -hmm. What makes it so intriguing? Not just the words, but what's going on in the back. So there's the guitar, there's the bass, there's the drums. What is this noise in the background? What is that? And you find out it's a pad. What, what is oh, that? Yeah. Well, how do you, how do you use that? Well, uh, how's this song structured? You know, there, so there's an intro, then there's a chorus, then there's this, and then it comes back here, and then it pulls out the bass at this point, and really walking through. And so again, uh, you know, how are they getting that sound? What was that sound coming from? And how's it so low? And and all these things. Why does it sound so warm? What is this vocals doing? Well, how is this pitch, you know, intonation changing here and there? And and why does it? What makes it interesting? Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've, that's what I'm. I'm become more of a student of writing songs. Nice. Brent was much more into that years ago when we were writing stuff. Uh, I think when we did our album, the mandatory album, he wanted to structure more melodies with the vocals. Mm -hmm. Like I was more monotone. I had a couple of things that I would do here and there, but we kind of sat down and structured everything off of a keyboard, you know, trying to actually make melodies and everything. And he called it ear candy, you know, adding stuff in the background, like the atmospheric stuff, you yeah. know, pads or whatever it may be. But really listening for that kind of stuff, it really, if you were to be able to take that out and listen to the song again, you know, what's missing? Something's missing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound right. You know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's strange how much that actually makes up what you enjoy. Mm -hmm. Just those little things in the background. I mean, especially with vocals, we had... I don't know how many vocal tracks that we had. We had you know, a lot of backing vocal stuff that, 
you know, you could have just so low in the mix, you really wouldn't be able to distinguish it without soloing it out by itself or, you know, taking things out to actually hear it. But mm-hmm. once it's there and then it's not there, you, you can tell a difference. Like, well, this <laughs> makes it better. So let's keep it in there. Right. Well, it's it, just really cool how you can compose different things that way, different elements. One of the exercises that I did that really brought that to the forefront of my attention is when I was getting back into music and I really liked a particular seven to song and I was listening to it and I was like, man, I just want to record it because I just want to see what it sounds like, how far off I am or whatever. So I recorded it and I got my buddy Steven to lay down the drum track and we threw that in there and the bass and it sounded horrible <laughs> and it sounded so bad and the instruments are fine. They're in tune. Mm-hmm. But then that's when it really struck me that there's all this other stuff going on. It's not just a guitar and just a, a drum kit and just a bass. You know, there's all these other things happening. There's effects and there's risers and there's pads and there's backing vocals, right? All the other things that make it what it is. So it's it's fascinating. Yeah, you hear that with pop music and stuff with, with like a powerful chorus or something. And if you were to sing along, you're probably going to sing the main notes that you hear but there could be two, maybe even three other notes, octaves or whatever in the background that they're so smushed in the mix mm-hmm. and comprised together where it just it's like one big conglomerate track when there's actually seven tracks going or something and it's all vocals, but it sounds like one massive person yeah. <laughs> singing. Yep. You know, like I would do that with some songs. I would do a quick little vocal cover and I would sing the part that I hear. Mm-hmm. And then think, wow, it sounds so flat. I guess I should maybe record it again, you know, mm-hmm. one or two more times. Now I have three of the same take, but it's still not powerful enough. And then I really listen. Okay, well, there's a lower harmony in there somewhere. Can't mm-hmm. even really distinguish what it is, but there's something there. So then I do that. Still doesn't sound the same. Listen again. Okay, there's a higher harmony in there that I'm now hearing <laughs> yeah. for some reason. It just It's so crazy how, yeah. how all that just makes up something. It's fun. And for me as an engineer, I mean, all engineers, we love taking shit apart, right? Mm-hmm. What it is, well, I want to take the screws out and I want to see what's inside. And that's part that's satisfying my engineering desire is just like you said, walking through a song and you figure it out. But they went, well, there's something else. Well, what is that? And you get to dissect this, right? And you take it apart and you unfold it and unpack it. And you realize it's just this massive thing with all these complex parts. And it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. All of these things come together in concert and create this, even if it's death metal, it's still, you're like, wow, I didn't realize that all that went into it, you know? Yeah. So, and another thing that's, you know, there's a 15 year gap there from putting down you know, the guitar to picking it back up. And what's crazy to me, I mean, just blows my mind is the technology in terms of recording, right? And, you know, I recently, I found this band that I thought they had a really good tone and I reached out to them on Facebook and I said, hey man, so, you know, how'd you, what'd you do to record this, blah, 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 this this song? Like, oh, well, uh, we recorded the guitar tracks at my house and then the drummer recorded the drum tracks at his house and the vocals were recorded somewhere else. Then we all sent it into the sound engineer and he mixed it and blah, blah, blah. you know, that's crazy that we can do that. Yep. We cannot, you and I could not do that when we were 18 years old. Nope. We couldn't do that. If you wanted to record something, you had to, you had to have money so that you can book a studio yep. and that studio would cost millions of dollars to make potentially, right. To mm-hmm. build. And now you can buy this hardware. And back then what it would have cost you to make one song, you can take that money today and purchase all this recording equipment that will be just as good, if not better, mm-hmm. in your own house, in your own home. 
which is mind blowing to me. So I can record stuff in my house. Um, and my drummer, my drummer, my buddy, Steven, um, who, you know, plays drums, he, I convinced him, um, to get an e-kit. So again, that is just a game changer, Mm -hmm. absolute game changer. If you think about it, acoustic drums, you know, they go out of tune, they break, the sticks break. You have to replace the heads. The cymbals will break. You have to replace those. Then you have to set up mics. And you have to, so you have to find the placement of the mics. Um, you have to purchase all the mics. And there's all the cables and all of these things. With an e-kit, all that goes away. Yeah. It all goes away. And you can not only have one kit, you can just, with the push of a button, switch over to an entirely different kit. Yep. We were sitting there at his desk, and I'm like, man, that, that snare sounds too high. We need to bring it down. Okay, click, click, click. How does this sound? A little too high. Bring it down, you know, just a little bit more. Click, click, click. Perfect. Now the level's too low. Bring it up. Bring the level up. Click, click, click. We're done. It's just, it's crazy (laughs) how amazing things are right now. That's what I was talking to my wife about in the next room over. That was our jam room. We would have practice here, which I haven't had in, I don't know, several years at this point. So I had a drum set here and it's been in the closet for the past two years at least. And... And I was telling her, I don't see myself bringing that back out of the closet because I don't really see a band in here having practiced regularly enough to justify taking up an entire room for drums and other equipment. And I thought, you know, that'd be kind of cool to get just an e-kit because they're so small mm-hmm. and I could fold it up, you know, easy enough and mm-hmm. I could use it to record stuff if I really wanted to versus not having a mic set for the actual, you know, acoustic drums and and the amount of space it takes up, the noise level, mm-hmm. so many different aspects. So that's kind of where I am too. I'm, I would be more inclined to get an e-kit and just you know, sell the other drums or keep them, you know, if we end up in a different house that I actually have room to set up stuff somewhere. I absolutely should. And so Steven, you know, when we were all 18, he was working at Guitar Center and obviously he's a drummer. He said at that time, back, back in the day, there was, if you walk into the drum room of Guitar Center, 90% of the floor space was acoustic drums and they'd have one e-kit back in the corner, mm-hmm. right? Today, 90% is e-drums, Oh wow! e-kits, and there's maybe some acoustic parts scattered here and there, right? Because again, the advent of DSPs and technology and it's like, it just makes sense. Like, why would you, you spend all this thousands of dollars and you get one kit where you can spend the same or less and get multiple kits yeah. right? with the push of a button. So right. pretty, pretty crazy. That's so weird, man. I don't think I've actually been into a guitar center in years at this point. I've just, I've had most of the stuff that I needed. Mm-hmm. The last few guitars that I've gotten were all custom builds. So I have. I see them hanging on the wall. And I'm like, just antsy. I'll get my hands on them. <laughs> <laughs> you do that soon. But yeah, I've, it's also dangerous for me to be in a place like that. If I do find something that I like, because mm-hmm. I cannot justify spending the money on it. <laughs> Man, <laughs> at this point, unless I get rid of something else. Man, I've I've gone into guitar centers, you know, recently over the past couple of years. And to be honest with you, um, it does, for me, it doesn't have the same shimmer as it did when mm. we were kids. It's like when you're a kid and you walk into a candy store and you get all excited, like, oh my God, as an, as an adult, as a 40 year old, you walk into a candy store and you're like, eh, I'm, you know, heartburn and, you know, it's, it's making my stomach hurt and it's too sweet. And, yep. you know, Guitar Center for me is the same way because uh, most of the stuff that I purchase is online, you know, you know, through online retailers. And then you go on YouTube and you see all the, you know, the 
unboxing videos and the mm -hmm. example videos. So Guitar Center doesn't have anything for me. It, it's just, for me, it's only, you know, immediate gratification. I need strings right now and I can't wait for Amazon sure, for sure. the next day. I need them now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. See, that's kind of all I had there on that. that. That does bring up one thing that reminded me of something else. When we talk about the advent of technology today. So when people say, I want to learn how to play the guitar, or they say, hey, I want to do this, or I want to do that with music. And they're like, well, I need, I can't do it because I need a good guitar. Or mm. I can't do it because I need lessons. And my parents won't buy me lessons or, or whatever. Name your excuse. Man, for me, you know, sitting in that cold weather with my fingers hurting in the garage with the volume turned all the way down with nobody, no YouTube, n nothing. Like, I taught myself because I wanted to do it, right? Right. I think that, you know, that still holds true today, except for now we have all this technology. If you would have given me today's YouTube back then when I was wanting to learn how to play, man, I'd be, you know, leagues ahead of where I am because I would have used that to teach myself even better and learn things and, right. and all these things. So the technology here today is so great that I have zero remorse for people who say they want to learn an instrument and they don't because whatever, name, name your excuse. I, I didn't have this or I don't have a guitar pick. Dude, I was so broke and poor. And back in the day, um, I didn't have a ride to get a guitar pick. Even if I got a ride to a guitar pick, I don't know if I had 25 cents to buy a guitar pick. So I would go find credit cards and I would get scissors and I would cut the corners. Yeah. And I use that as my guitar pick, right? Whatever you got to do. Whatever you got to, because that's what drives you. So it's different today, man. It really is. And, you know, so that anyways, that reminded me of, you know, if, if you really want to do it, you, mm -hmm. you'll find time. It's not that you don't have time. It's just not that important to you, right? Right. But that is important to you. So you do it. And so I have zero remorse for people who don't learn, let's say, any craft or skill set um, because of X, Y, Z. When you have all of this amazing technology, not only, even Absolutely. if you don't, you will find a way to do it. Mm -hmm. That's just impatience. Uh, not just impatience, but it's definitely impatience. I mean, I've experienced that. I can't get better at some things because I don't put in the time for it. I just slap myself in the head, you know. <laughs> idiot. Well, that's why you're not better at it because you haven't really put, you know, the time into it. Right. And just like you said, with people wanting, you know, a, I have to have a good guitar or I have to have this in order to do this. Mm -hmm. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, my dad made that very clear when I was growing up, even though I didn't want to hear it either. When I started getting a guitar, I wanted something nice. You know, I wanted like a Parker fly or something that looked awesome. And I played one and they weighed as much as a waffle or something. I mean, it was just like, what is this? This is awesome. <laughs> You know, and then he told me, which I'm sure it was also geared towards, let's not spend that much money on a guitar for one thing, mm -hmm. but said it's, it doesn't matter what kind of guitar you have. It matters how you play it. Mm -hmm. Thought, okay, yeah, that is true. Mm -hmm. So I still hold on to that because it mm -hmm. does make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have the shittiest guitar, but if you play it like it's the best guitar you've ever had, mm -hmm. it'll, it'll shine through for sure. Or even so, let's say you have a shitty guitar and you learn on it and you spend years honing your craft on that shitty guitar, by the time you graduate to a good guitar, you will have all of that skill set already in place. Mm -hmm. So when you pick up that good guitar, you've earned it and yep. you can play the shit out of it, make it sound great. Yep. And I, I think it was a thing more so a few years ago when people would comment on videos, someone would post a, an amazing guitar video and you'd see all these people saying tabs, tabs, do you have tabs for this? Tabs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would think, Jesus, the, the video is right here. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm sure you can slow it down or, you know, at this point you can slow it down. But even if you can't slow it down, you can see what his fingers are doing. Right. You know, right. use your ears, use your eyes, and you can actually do this mm-hmm. if you put in the time or if you really want to. Mm-hmm. I just, I mean, tabs are great. And I used to use tabs for a lot of stuff, but it was mostly just a part that I didn't know. I said, I need, I need help on this. I can't figure this part out. Mm-hmm. And then once I got that, okay, then I just tackle the rest by mm-hmm. ear or, you know, by eyes, I guess. But I mean, I know people don't have the best ears sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of understand that to an extent. But sure. if a lot of times it seems like there's no effort though, mm-hmm. it's not just... Mm-hmm. I can't, my ear is not great. It's just, no, I, I just want to look at the tab. You know, mm-hmm. that's much easier, much more efficient. Mm-hmm. I guess whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. But I feel like a lot of it's driven by impatience. Yeah. Agreed. How about a rapid fire? Would you rather? Okay. One or the other. Sure. Start simple, dog or cat? Dog. Dinner at home or dinner out somewhere? Ooh, Man. <laughs> out somewhere. I'm sorry, I'm sorry if you said rapid. Let's say out. <laughs> pecan or pecan? Pecan. Comedy or thriller? Comedy. Running or walking? Walking. Sleep in or up early? Up early. Fast or slow? Fast. Inside or outside? Inside. Writing music or listening to music? Ooh, writing. I knew I was going to get you on that one. Teaching or being taught? Being taught. Ask for help or do it yourself? Do it myself. Flying or driving? Driving. Chocolate or peanut butter? Chocolate. Mountains or beach? Ooh, beach. Rain or sunshine? Rain. Past or future? Future. City life or country life? City life. Heads or tails? Heads. Ah, <laughs> that's two out of three. Heads, tails. Ah, <laughs> this, is why this is why I never win at the lottery. <laughs> okay, did a specific movie come to mind when I asked comedy or thriller? No, I just I don't care for thriller genre. There are okay. some great ones, but um, I love movies. But I just I'd prefer comedy. I, Man, you know, just real quick, a, a sidetrack to diatribe, but, you know, uh, some people just love to be scared and mm-hmm. people love sad movies and love to cry. I'm like, man, I don't want to cry. I don't want to be scared. <laughs> right. I want to be happy. I want to enjoy this. And I want something intriguing and I want, you know, something that makes you think or something that makes sure. you happy or that's, that's kind of why I, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely those moments where I think, oh, I don't want to finish watching <laughs> this. I'm on the verge of tears. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> But it's so good, you know. Yeah, yeah. If, uh, we were watching that show, uh, New Amsterdam. Okay. It's like hospital series show kind of a thing. I guess like ER or Grey's Anatomy or something. Okay. Chantel's watching it. I'm, I just walk in and I'll get sucked in and watch it for a mm-hmm. while. Thinking about these people acting, just like anything else, any other movie or whatever, just seeing how genuine they are, especially in a hospital, you know, if someone's mm-hmm. sick or, you know, emergency situations. It's, I feel like I could do that. But also at the same time, I think, no, I don't think I can. Right. <laughs> These people are so believable. And I'm picturing myself, could I do that? Could I completely delete myself and take on a whole entire other persona and pretend to be that person 
in front of cameras and crew people because it's not just mm -hmm. there's no music playing mm -hmm. there's no atmosphere being created you are doing a specific thing and all that all those elements are included mm -hmm. after the fact yeah well everybody has their skill sets and the, probably that person that you're looking at and thinking how could i possibly do that they're probably looking at you playing the guitar and be like mm. could i possibly learn how to play the guitar that well yeah sure they could <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they could act like they're playing. Yeah, playing there it that you well. go. There you go. <laughs> for sure. What about uh, asking for help or doing it yourself? That question, did any specific thing come to mind? Yeah, for sure. That's sort of a deep-rooted thing with me. Like, I'm a very much do hands-on person, right? And, you know, as I've gotten older, what I've, what I've realized is a lot of people don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, in, with tangible things, with building things, with fixing things, with social things, they don't know what they're doing. Um, and so I'm very much, I will do it myself. And if I mess up, I can learn from it. Mm, yeah. And it, 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 I'm going to say this and I don't mean it in a demeaning way or anything or passive aggressive way, but the reality is... I can't really depend on people in general and not for, for purposes of, of people being selfish or spiteful or whatever. It's just even with, you know, the right intentions, you rely on people and it may not come to fruition. So I'd rather mm -hmm. put the onus on me. Sure. Not only that, but then the, also the accountability on me if it doesn't work out, because then yes. you, you learn from that. Right. So that's yeah. why. I feel pretty much the exact same way. That was something else that my dad kind of put into my head being in construction, like what, what he would always say is, you know, we need, we need to do this specific task. If it goes wrong, this could be bad. So as I'm about to do it, he'll say, here, here, let me do it. Let me do it. If it, if, if it gets messed up, let me be the one to screw it up. Mm -hmm. You know? So I kind of take on that same thing with my guys at this point sometimes where they'll do something, and, you know, I'll say, let me, let me take it. Mm -hmm. Let me do this real quick. That way, if it's messed up, mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know why I don't want to take the <laughs> take yeah. the fall for something, but I also don't want somebody else to to deal with that just the same. Yeah, but, which is kind of strange. But it can be the the best teacher in life, right? Because if you fail at that and something goes really wrong, you're gonna, you know, I would hope you'd learn. I'm not gonna do that again. Yeah, right. right? And if they're watching and see it, then they know. And like, well, I'm glad I wasn't the one that did that. And then, but they still learned something just the same. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. There's several things that I was gonna talk about earlier with communication, you know, in construction. I guess. I wasn't going to say this, but now that it's popped into my head, like meetings, having job meetings and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're not as formal mm -hmm. as other companies or other job sites because it's not as demanding or just more of a laid back general contractor, whatever mm -hmm. the case is. But man, I have an issue with people that show up to meetings and I don't have a problem with someone putting their phone on the table. I know some people say if that if you put your phone on the table face up, that means that you're waiting for something to pull you away or mm -hmm. you're, you're keeping an eye on something mm -hmm. and you're not tuned to the meeting. Mm -hmm. Totally understand that. I know that that's not always the case because I do that and I'll just set it up there and that's it. That's it. But if somebody texts me or whatever, for one thing, it's on vibrate. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll turn it over. If it's vibrating the table. I'm going to take it off the table. Mm -hmm. But we have people in meetings that show up with the volume on full blast and they just let the shit ring. You mm -hmm. know, and then they pick the phone up and they're looking at it like, hmm, who is that? Eh, nah, I don't really need to talk to them right now. Mm -hmm. That's how long it takes for them to even silence the freaking ringer when we're having a meeting. And I just, I don't understand how people can just do that and not even realize how annoying it is. <laughs> it's, it's definitely um, not courteous. 
and it can cross that threshold of being rude. But again, I don't, and again, I don't know the, the situation in, you know, intimately. However, I don't think that most people would come to a meeting and, and intentionally, I'm going to derail this meeting hmm. and, hey, call me in five minutes because I'm going to let the phone ring. I'm going to turn my volume all the way up and then I'm just going to be rude, right? I don't think that happens, but sure. you know, it's possible. Um, but, but, you know, the way that I would approach that situation, if I, if I were in that situation, I'd, I'd get my crew together, even if it's laid back and be like, look, guys, we have 10 minutes to discuss whatever or 15 minutes. So, you know, we don't do this often. I could, I could set aside an entire hour and we can go sit down somewhere and, but none of us want that. And it takes a lot of time. We have things to do. So all I'm asking is 15 minutes of your undivided attention. That's it. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's be courteous with our phones, with our attention and let's get through this and then we can move forward. If not, you know, maybe we do need to think about scheduling an hour so that we can account for all of these interruptions. Right. That makes total sense. I've seen some GCs present it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's phone rings, so it's like a teacher in a class, you know, like, mm -hmm. I'm just going to stop talking until mm -hmm. you're done with what you're doing. Can you turn that off for a mm -hmm. minute? You know, as we're talking right now, you mm -hmm. know, I can't hear the person in front of me because your fucking phone's going off mm -hmm. you know, every five seconds. One of my biggest pet peeves for meetings is when you are hosting a meeting with, let's say, 10 people and people don't show up on time. That's, oh, yeah. That's another one. That's a big pet peeve for me, because if you think about how much each of these people are getting paid for salary, and then you divide their time by, you know, whatever many hours, and then the infrastructure, how much you're paying for rent and electricity, and as the clock's running, you're spending all this money. And we all have things to do and be cognizant of time. It's one of those things of, it's just disrespectful, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's a big pet peeve of mine is showing up late. Yeah. If I've had that happen to me before, I'm going to at least text the GC or something and say, I might be five minutes late or something. And I've seen some other guys that will tell the GC that he'll tell everybody else in the meeting, Hey, one of the guys is running a little bit behind. Let's wait for him to get in before we get started. That's great That's awesome. communication. It's yeah. wonderful. I, I tell my students, cause I expect the same thing if they're going to be running late and I'm in the middle of lecture, right? I say, look, if you were going to just not show up to work, would you not tell your boss? Would you not tell your manager? No, of course not. You would text them or send them an email and let them know what's going on. And so I said, I expect no difference. This is a, you're in college. This is a communications course. Yeah. You need to learn how to communicate. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, man. <laughs> Especially for that. Yeah. So another thing that you mentioned that you enjoy doing is traveling. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to at least talk about that. Sure. So you said that's something you weren't able to do much earlier in life. Right. And I'm assuming it's because maybe financial reasons, or mm -hmm. did you not care or think about it as much? I was um, kind of curious. Yeah. So obviously, number one, financial reasons, right? Um, you got to build your career. I, I came from, you know, <laughs> the cliche, but I really came from nothing. And so you got to, if you don't have anything to begin with, how do you just decide, hey, I want to start traveling the world? Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't have any money. Um, so for the past, you know, I don't know, I think, I think I started college at 24 and I'm 39 now. Um, so for the past, you know, 15 years, I have been very career driven. And I'd say, let me take that back, the past 12 years, from 24 to say 36 or whatever, I was very, you know, pedal to the metal, anything I can do to advance and, and grow, climb the corporate ladder and make more money and all that. And so that was that's what I was driven by. And on top of that, it took up a lot of time working full time, going to school full time, having a child and having another child. 
getting married, getting divorced, you know, all of these things, life happens, right? Mm -hmm. So at some point when I realized, you know, I have reached some certain level of professional success, I need to start doing things that, that I enjoy, that I like. Sure. And I, at that time, I then had the means, not necessarily financial, but I had the opportunity through work to start traveling. And I thought, well, I'm going to start doing this. And so work took me, you know, all around the United States. I've been to so many different states uh, for work, you know, New York, Florida, Chicago, Minnesota, Washington, California, Kentucky, Colorado. I mean, you name it. I've been all over, all over the place, Utah. Um, so the more that I got out there, the more I really enjoyed seeing different places. Mm -hmm. And whenever I'd go for work, I would make sure that I would try to book it so I could stay an extra day or two or mm. butt it up against a weekend where I needed to do my stuff on Friday or I needed to do my stuff on Monday. And then I'd go and run around for a couple of days or wherever. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And then, you know, and then a few years ago, I went to Mexico for the first time and it was amazing. And so I've been back to Mexico in different parts. I've been to Tequila, I've been to Guadalajara, um, Puerto Vallarta, Cancun, Tulum, Mexico City, all these different places because... I go there and I just, I love it. And then I recently got back from Colombia, went to three different places in Colombia, Santa Marta, Cartagena, Medellin. And so again, I think it's one of those things where travel broadens the mind. Mm -hmm. We all have a, a mental model of the world and we, you know, how do, where do you receive that information from? Well, mostly from YouTube and TV and television and news broadcasts and clippings and articles and everything. But you got to realize that that's all gone through filters to reach you. Mm -hmm. And so once you get out there and you see the world, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's eye-opening. To, to give you an example, I was, in, I was in England years ago, and I was, I was at Stonehenge. And we were talking to some people there at Stonehenge. And they're like, oh, where are you from? And I said, Texas. Texas? Oh, wow. Do you, do you ride horses to school? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you, you laugh at that. We laugh at that. But that's what the world thinks mm -hmm. when they think of Texas, right? Yep. And so, obviously, me, I'm like, this is so funny. I want to keep this going. I say, of course we ride horses to school. How else do you get to school? Of Horses. And so, recently, I was talking to a coworker of mine who sits in China, and we were waiting for a meeting to start. So, it's just he and I on the phone. And he just says, do you have a gun? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where's this, where's this coming? What a, what is, what an odd question. Where's this coming from? And I start laughing. He starts laughing. And I said, like, what? And he goes, do you, do you have a gun? And I said, well, yeah, I have a couple of them. And he goes, oh, okay. Cause here in China, we don't have guns. And we know in Texas, you know, we, people say that you have guns and, you know, blah, blah. blah. And so they have this mental model that we're just running around the street waving guns around wild west. wild west right so the the world's view of texas is horses tumbleweeds six shooters cowboy hats you know blah blah yep. blah and we, you and i will laugh at that because we're here and we grew up here and yeah. we're like okay that yeah there's there's some reality to that but that's not what this place is about okay if you look at some place like columbia first thing comes to your mind cartel cocaine drugs you know murders uh ransom you know, um, hostage situations, whatever, blah, blah. And there is some grain of truth to that because it was, you know, you know, something had to have happened for that narrative to take place. But then you get there and you're like, Where, where's the cartel? Where's the 
you know, the, where's the co- why is there not cocaine at every 7-Eleven? <laughs> What's going yeah. on? It's not like that at all, man. I went to, I went to Columbia and, um, when we first landed, we got at Santa Marta and then we went up and we had a tour guide take us up into the Amazonian rainforest and interface with the tribe who doesn't have much interaction with civilization, period. Right. And that whole experience was just mind blowing. It's, it's, it was amazing, right? They didn't even speak Spanish. They have their own language. So mm-hmm. they have, have an interpreter from the tribe and and got to go, you know, they, they literally, I mean, it's just like they wash their clothes in the river and they have a holy river. And then, you know, I'm there and I'm, I traveled all this way. I'm like, there's no way I'm not getting in this river. So I stripped down and jumped in, man. And it was just, it was a, it was just a crazy experience. You can never replace with anything else. And, and those kinds of things, you will never get, most people will be like, I'm not going to go to Columbia. I'm going to get murdered. And, you know, they're going to hold me for ransom for some cocaine. Yeah. And that's, that was my mental model a few years ago until, you know, my girlfriend, she's from Columbia and she was so excited to show me her country. Mm-hmm. And I would have never thought about that. I'm like, no, there's a million other places I'd rather go. But I went um, because I, I trust her and I believe her. And it was just one of the greatest life experiences I've had. So, yeah. Makes you wonder, too, if it would be different if your skin complexion was different. Because you do have a darker <laughs> skin complexion, so you might not stick out as much. Okay, good point. I would say I would not have gone if I was not with somebody who's from the country. Sure. Okay. And especially if you are, you know, lighter skinned and you look Caucasian, you look American, <laughs> you're a target. But it's a, a, so I, I say again, same thing. It's like, you know, if you look at New York in the late 80s, the murder rate was so freaking high. Mm-hmm. And you look at Chicago and their gang, you know, in murder rate is so high. But that doesn't mean all of America is like that. Right. And you, you wouldn't run down a bad part of town in Chicago with a wad of cash waving it down the street. You just wouldn't go down the street doing that, right? You just have to be careful. But you might not know that. So if you have somebody who's from there, say, hey, let's just don't go to this part. Don't do this. Um, you know, maybe get a tan and, and you'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was laughing about the the horse thing because I, I know that I experienced that somewhere. I was thinking it was Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. I went, uh, I think it was 2012. And I want to say somebody said that mm-hmm. and they were... I guess they were serious. I'm pretty sure they were serious, mm-hmm. but it is interesting. Mm-hmm. But I was also told, forgot by who, where, but in going, if someone asks where you're from, better to say Texas than United States. Yeah. So that's one of the things I've learned is <clears throat> when people think of America, and this is outside of America, they typically know New York, California, and Texas. Hmm. That's that they, they know these places. Sometimes they'll know Florida. Yeah, I was going to say maybe Florida. Yeah. But other than that, they don't know Wyoming. What is what is Wyoming, right? Yeah. So, and people around the world, they, they love this idea of Texas. They love this romantic idea of the Wild West and being free and jumping on a horse and riding off into the sunset kind of a thing. It's kind of kind of cool. So, yeah, people love that you're from Texas. So, I, I you know, I wave that flag wherever I go. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if you had those three to choose from, you know, you're either going to be like a surfer bum or, you know, a cowboy <laughs> or a business dude or something. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I've gone, I won't say everywhere, but a lot of places, very interesting that you will see, whether it be in England or Mexico or Colombia or wherever, you see restaurants that are Texas themed. Right. 
and they will have a Texas flag. It's crazy. I was in Cartagena and, you know, we were in this densely populated place of Cartagena and I look over and there's a Texas bar and grill with a Texas flag and a horse, a stallion. And I'm like, yo, that is awesome. We need to go check this out. You won't find a New York themed bar grill. Mm -hmm. You won't find a California themed bar grill. You won't find a U.S. themed bar grill. You know, people are fascinated with the idea of Texas. So when you do travel, do you stay in hotels or Airbnbs? These uh, days. So for when I would travel for business, it was always with hotels because obviously that's what was allowed per policy and they paid mm -hmm. for everything. Now, because of that, I would build up a lot of points. So when I would travel, mm -hmm. I would yeah. use those points to get a free, it's free hotel, right? Nice. Yeah. But, you know, given my own choice, probably I've done Airbnbs in Colombia. I did a lot of Airbnbs. So my philosophy on traveling is, and there's no right or wrong way to look at this, but I think a lot of people will like, let's take Cancun, for example, like I want to travel, I want to go somewhere, I want to relax, you know, and enjoy the weekend, enjoy beach. So they'll, I want to go to Cancun. So they'll go to Cancun and they'll, oh, there's this all-inclusive resort. It's a great deal. Five days, four nights, whatever. And they'll do that. All the alcohol is included, meals are included and like, great. So they'll fly on a plane, they'll travel thousands of miles, get to Cancun. They'll go inside the resort, which is a building. And they'll stay in the building for five days and four nights. And they'll just lay in the pool. And to me, I look at that and I go, well, I could do that here. <laughs> right. Why am I traveling all this way to sit in a resort in a pool and drink and eat when I can do that here? So the way that I look at it is I want to go where the local people are, right? I want to go somewhere where nobody speaks English and just kind of make my way through, and which is okay if you have somebody with you who speaks Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I'm trying to learn myself. It's not going too well, but um, I walked through Mexico City by myself and didn't know any Spanish, really. I mean, I can, you know, order some food or whatever. And, of course, the way that I look, people assume, right, right. that I can speak Spanish. But um, so I, I love to go off the beaten path, and I love to go visit, you know, if somebody in that country who's from that country, if they were going to go on vacation somewhere within their country, where do they go? They don't go to Cancun. That's that's Americanized. And I went to Tequila, Mexico, and it was amazing. And agave plants everywhere. And I stayed at the distillery and not many people speak English. And I had the most amazing experiences there, met great people and had such a great time. And then from there, I drove to Puerto Vallarta. I was driving into Puerto Vallarta and there's a subway and there's an Outback Steakhouse. Uh -huh. And I was like, okay, I mean, I can, I can do that here. And truth be told, that was probably the worst part of the trip just because it's so Americanized. Right. And there's nothing wrong with America. It's just, you know, I want to go somewhere and, and see new things and do new things mm -hmm. and meet new people and see new environments and new places and new cultures and all this. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have anything specific you like to do when you travel, like uh, seeing historical places or hiking or local nightlife, things like that? Yeah, all of the above. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, some people are like, oh, I don't want to do the touristy things. Well, I enjoy some a little bit of a taste of the touristy stuff because mm -hmm. it's touristy for a reason, right? Sure. Whether it be monuments or historical markers or, or you know, sightseeing or whatever, or a museum. Yeah, I want to go do that. Um, but again, I want to go off-road. One of the coolest things I did in Mexico was um, take a quad up a mountain. They did this tour, and you go up and you do this restaurant and come down. And it's just like, those things are so cool, man. Yeah. So I just like to put my hands in all different kinds of things. And 
culture definitely ties in with travel as far as experiencing different cultures and societies. Are there any places that have really left an impression on you culturally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of Latin America, man. Again, you know, growing up here, uh, specifically in Texas and in Dallas, you know, we are we're exposed to a, a lot of Latin influence, right? Because we're so close to the border. But for me, being naive and, and not knowing anything and never traveling anywhere, we are only exposed to one subset of a entire larger Latin community, mm-hmm. right? So you think that's all that's they're all like this, right? And it's, it's you know, just all, it's it's ignorance, it's lack of not knowing. But then you start traveling south of the border and then further south and then further south. And then you're just like, whoa, there's all this amazing stuff here, <laughs> yeah. amazing people. Um, and so definitely, like I said, it's um, just the whole Latin community has really made a big impression on me. You know? Have you been to Nicaragua? I have not, no. That's the only place that I really have been south. I've not been to Mexico. But man, Nicaragua, that was a culture shock for a few reasons. It was my ex-wife and I. And when we got there, I can't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast, but it doesn't matter. I think it was nighttime and we had a cab driver pick us up. They were already set up to pick us up mm-hmm. and he spoke a little bit of English. And, you know, first thing we're blowing through red lights, mm-hmm. driving down the road, driving in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. There's You can see a couple of lanes, but it doesn't matter. You just drive in the middle of the road. It's mm-hmm. no big deal. And, you know, we're looking at each other like, why are we running red lights? There's other people on the road. And then he can see that we're kind of concerned. He goes, oh, no, no, no policia. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes me feel any better, but <laughs> that's cool. As far as the traffic goes, that's a whole different experience. The communication level with traffic is everyone honks all the time. Oh, yeah. And there's a different type of honk. You know, you got your bimp or a bimp or bimp or, you know, it's just <laughs> everyone knows what's going on and it all works. It, it's mm-hmm. just, it, to me, it looks chaotic, but it's mm-hmm. it all works. And then the express bus is what really stuck with me too, is this bus that doesn't stop. It just goes. And when it picks you up, it just slows down. Mm-hmm. And there's somebody hanging off the side of the bus, <laughs> grabbing people's bags, throwing it on top of the bus. And you just have to kind of shuffle and jump in real quick. And <laughs> so many people packed in there. It was super interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to see a different way of life. Right. And Did they drive on the right side of the road there? They consistently drove in the middle. <laughs> but I mean, I think technically, I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be the right side. Okay. Oh, yeah. Interesting. But yeah, pretty interesting. A lot of shitty roads mm-hmm. and there was i think one one was like an hour drive and we had to pay so much money for it and we're thinking why is it so expensive mm-hmm. and it was because it was over this horrible horrible road i mm-hmm. mean you have to drive 10 miles an hour or less because it's so bumpy so many rocks mm-hmm. and you know people are charged more because it's freaking ruining their vehicles for one thing mm-hmm. and not speaking the language you know i can speak a little bit of spanish but not much you know just to maybe get the point across about something or understand what someone's saying but you know there was a lot of confusing moments you know are we going to the right place do you <laughs> trust this person so i've i've traveled to you know, Mexico City, where by myself, where, where I don't speak any Spanish, and I've had to interface with an Uber driver. And, you know, again, thank God today we have technology to where I can just pull up my phone and do Google Translate and just type it in and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I also, I have a huge benefit, and that is that my girlfriend speaks Spanish. Mm-hmm. So anything we do in Latin America, she can just pick up the phone and call them, which we cannot. Right. So that opens up a whole nother world of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So That definitely helps. Ugh. 
any crazy travel stories, losing luggage or crazy <laughs> cab drivers or encounters? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some crazy stories from even stateside just traveling. I mean, not one that, that sticks out in terms of things went wrong, because things can always go wrong with traveling, but it's sort of expected. And we're so, I think, entitled to, you know, I can't believe my plane's delayed. It's like, well, oh, yeah. you know, you know, if there's a potential that you could possibly die because of bad weather, delay it. It's fine. I don't mind waiting another two hours. No big right. deal. Right. Uh, so there's, there's, you know, missed flights, missed connections, losing luggage. And then there's the sketchy Uber driver here and there. Then there's the, you know, hotels can be some seedy places sometimes with the things that you see going on in there. But mm -hmm. When I look back on travel and stories, there I focus on the ones that are positive that have sure. left an impact on me, like meeting with the indis, indigenous tribe and in, you know in Colombia. So yeah, that's awesome. Know. Yep. Do you have any experience with meditation? Uh, no. I will say, I think I think the closest thing that I've gotten to meditation is I did yoga one time. And that's like, everybody's doing yoga. It's a thing. Apparently helps a lot of people. I'm going to go see what all the hype is about. And part of the yoga was meditating. I said, okay, you got to find your center. And I sat down on this mat and they just meditate and got to close your eyes. And then there's this music going. And it was very strange to me. I, it just wasn't my thing. Sure. And I found myself you know, not having my eyes closed, I was opening my eyes. And then I started looking at the architecture of the building. I was looking at the ceiling and then I was looking at the trim and I was like, oh, it's uneven right there. You know, it's like, <laughs> I can't, I just, meditation, I can see the benefit for a lot of people, but not for me. So. That's a great example of the way your mind just doesn't want to sit still, <laughs> you know, looking at things like that. You could think about thinking about nothing, mm -hmm. but as soon as you say to yourself with your eyes closed, don't think about anything. Something is already working in the back of your head. I mean, I did mm -hmm. it earlier. For some reason today, I've, I mean, I I'm feel better now, especially engaging with, with you. It's been fun. But earlier, I just, I don't know, I just was not feeling it today. I've mm -hmm. been in a sour mood, just really irritable, and I cannot pinpoint why. So earlier I had to, I just went into the bathroom and just gave myself two minutes, mm -hmm. just two minutes of trying to think about absolutely nothing just to kind of reset what was going on in my head. That's great, man. And even trying to do that, something else is churning back there thinking, hey, don't forget to do this later. Mm -hmm. I'm just, stop it. Mm -hmm. You know, I got it written down in my to-do notes. I know that I have to do it later. Why am I thinking about it? I just need to stop for a minute. So mm -hmm. that's, meditation doesn't have to be 30 minute session or, mm -hmm. you know, a full day or mm -hmm. a month or anything like that. It can just be 30 seconds of uninterrupted mm -hmm. silence, Mm -hmm. Not thinking of anything, not stressing about anything, not suffering mm -hmm. over anything, not even being happy about anything, just mm -hmm. being. Mm -hmm. And similar to mindfulness, just being aware of what you're doing, what you're thinking, why you react a certain way to something. 100%, you know? yeah. So uh, I would say atmosphere might have been a, a play mm -hmm. there. You might try something on your own mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, I can, we can talk about that later if you wanted to, but that's something that I just have to suggest. Sure. So two things that are catalyst from what you just said. Number one, for me, I think that I've had to work so hard to get to where I'm at that the thought of sitting there and not doing anything to me is inefficient. Where I'm like, I could be figuring out, 
you know, why my taxes are, why they are, or Mm -hmm. I could be thinking about what, you know, what's coming up on my next week schedule and mentally start preparing for that. Or I can be revisiting a conversation. How could have it gone better for me to just turn off my mind in the middle of the day and think about nothing? It's just, it's something that's not innate with, within me. And I'm not saying it's not possible. I think that was a barrier. Sure. Right. But now, you know, seeing that, I, I think it's possible to, you know, like you said, even take a couple minutes to just shut off. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I wanted to talk about is something that you said is being mindful of yourself. So what I teach my students is we talk about emotional intelligence and, you know, people, when they hear emotional intelligence, they think, oh, you have the ability to read people. If you have a high emotional intelligence, you are good at understanding when people are acting a certain way and how to react to their actions and blah, blah. But the reality is that's only one half of emotional intelligence. The other half of emotional intelligence is understanding yourself. Why am I acting this way? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm off today and being able to recognize that I'm off today and then think about why am I off today? Why am I acting this way in the moment, right? And what I've realized for me specifically, it's one of two things. Usually either I didn't get enough sleep the night before, or I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so fundamental, but it's true. And so if I'm irritable or something, you know, like you have the ability to say, okay, I'm, I'm being really irritable today for some reason. And I think about why am I being like this, you know? And so, but then coupling that with communicating with your partner, Hey, just letting you know, this doesn't excuse anything, but I'm just, I'm irritable right now because, you know, recently I was, I was being irritable and I was like, okay, I got enough sleep. I've I've eaten what's, what's going on. But then I realized that I had been taking steroids because I got sick Mm -hmm. and they prescribed me medication and to get for a cold to get better. And then I realized it's steroids and it makes you irritable. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh shit, that's why I've, I've been acting, or probably, right? Yeah, right, right. But that's part of emotional intelligence, under, understanding your own behavior and what's driving your own behavior. And that's important for, and I don't think most people think about that. Right. Yeah, I think last time I was on steroids, it was the same thing. I, I think I I think I made a Facebook post, like, is this what roid rage is? Man, <laughs> it's not the same steroids, but I just, I just thought it was funny because it was maybe three days into it or something. I thought, man, I am just pissed off all day today. What is going on here? Oh, I'm on stupid steroids. (laughs) That's gotta be it. You know, like I couldn't pin it to anything else. Right. So so that kind of leads me into the last thing that I wanted to talk about, which is uh, four specific areas of interest that I bring up to everybody, depression, anxiety, trauma, and grief. Mm -hmm. Out of those four, are there any things that come to mind, whether it be experience yourself somebody else's experience that you would be able to share or maybe advice to get through anything? So I think I'll, I have a different angle on this. I, I've i never suffered from depression, not really grief. I, It's very, very rare that I get anxiety about anything. And what was the fourth one? Trauma. Trauma. And I don't have anything traumatic that's happened to me. That, that I know of, <laughs> you know, there's always these repressed memories or whatever, but so, so I'll, what I will talk about since I can't give advice, cause I don't, I can't empathize because I don't, I don't know those things. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm not compassionate about sure. people who, who suffer those things. But what I try to think about when I think about those things is again, I look at us as human beings, as an animal, like I said, what drives our decisions, how do we communicate why do we think about certain things? Why do we act certain ways? And 
you can tie a lot of those things to um, evolution and you know, needing to survive. So we have these mm-hmm. traits because it's advantageous for us as a species to have these traits, right? Mm-hmm. And right now we're looking at through the lens of 2023 where it's an entire different world, but it took us hundreds of thousands of years to develop these traits. And now we're just looking at it from the lens of 2023. And so I, mm-hmm. I try to track back be like, well, why do we have these things? Why do we feel the urge to do this or to do that? And, you know, and I often use the analogy of an earthworm. You know, if you take an earthworm in your hand and you place it in some mud and you tell the earthworm, do not dig in the mud. Well, it has to. It, it's like breathing. It has to. That's how it has evolved. So it cannot not do that. Same thing with a dog. If a squirrel runs right in front of it, it has to. You say, don't look at the squirrel. You know, you can train a dog, mm-hmm. right? But in naturally instinct, it has to because it's a dog. So I look at us, I'm like, okay, so we have these things and these traits about us where for some reason we're evolutionary hardwired and, you know, survival of the fittest. That's what I was thinking about. And they have been advantageous for us at some point, even when you think about people who have ADHD, right? Well, maybe they were groomed that way through evolution because they have to survive because they need to know everything that's going to attack them at, you know, what's what there could be a bird of prey. There could be an animal of prey. There could be, I need to not, or be careful around this cliff because I could slip and die. And it's all these things. And so what I've been thinking about in recent years is depression. What advantageous, you know, uh, say, what is the advantage of having depression? Because I feel like it's become more and more prevalent in society, either more and more prevalent or, the fact that we just discovered that more people have it. And so I started to think, how is this advantageous to have depression, right? So many people have it. It has come from somewhere. And and I don't know, I haven't done research. I'm just thinking, right? And so I think, okay, from my observations, I think is that it's not something that will be advantageous to you, but I think that we have spent so many hundreds of thousands of years in the wild fighting animals and bears and learning and trying to fix a society and trying to build structures and trying to do that. And we're, we're exerting energy and thought and care and all these things. And now you're put in a room and you have everything that you want. You have food, you have water, you have sex, you have a computer, you have TikTok and you can be entertained. So where's all that other energy going? Mm -hmm. It's just kind of folding in on itself. And then you're depressed because you're not getting all that out. If a dog is super anxious and, you know, just barking all the time because they're not meant to be housed up in a room, they're meant to be out in a field running, you know, if you're that bred for that reason. So what do you do? You take the dog out and you exercise them and you run them and then you bring them back home and they're just relaxed and calm and chill Mm -hmm. and all that. But I think, and again, it's just my assumption that we are very similar, that we have everything that we need and that we want and we desire right here in a room. So we're not fighting bears and we're not building structures and we're not trying to keep our children alive as we're going through a trail, the wild west, you know, traveling from New York to California in 1849 or whatever. Right. Yeah. That's, these are the things that I think about. So. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's a lack of purpose, sense of purpose. Well if said. If you're sitting in a room with everything that you want, why am I here though? Well said. What do, what do I do? You know, I can, well I can do this and enjoy that, but I mean, if it's just for you and you're just built this little, you know, model airplane or something, I guess nowadays it's going to be, I'm going to share it on Facebook and that's my <laughs> purpose is to make other people like it and stuff. But if that's not there, 
did you build that for fun or did you, why did you do that? And then you might be asking yourself that question. Why am I here doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, I guess no one needs me if I'm not anywhere else doing something, you know, Mm -hmm. that someone else is going to appreciate or, um, I I think that's a big part of it is no sense of purpose Mm -hmm. and not understanding that you don't necessarily have to have that and it's not your fault, right? but there's no reason to dwell on it either which is very hard. That's where mindfulness comes in too. You know, mm-hmm. I, if I'm depressed, I'm thinking about all this time I've wasted or all this time that I've invested in doing something and I'm not making enough money or I'm not mm-hmm. doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, keep going mm-hmm. and you will eventually, hopefully get there. Mm-hmm. And you're just frustrated on, you know, this part of the path. You're, you're just not at the end yet. Mm-hmm. And the end still might not be satisfying enough. And that's just another checkpoint to look around and go, oh, I'm not. Right. No one appreciates me. I'm not making a dent in anything, but it's all a journey. It's just Mm -hmm. all a timeline that you're traveling Mm -hmm. down. And it doesn't mean that you're worthless or don't have a sense of purpose. It's that you're dwelling on it for one thing, or Mm -hmm. you're just convincing yourself that you're unhappy or not enough, but not enough to who? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It it depends on the person too, you Mm -hmm. know, what their life is like. I understand why some people could be depressed about things they've experienced, things that they're experiencing in the moment, you know, having cancer, having a family member with cancer, something Mm -hmm. like that. That's depressing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to get around that, but so much of it revolves around your mindset Mm -hmm. and what you focus on. Oh yeah. Let's say that you're an adult and you decide... I'm just going to start eating whatever I want without regard to my stomach getting fat or I don't care about muscles and I don't care about cardiovascular health. I'm just going to eat whatever I want. And you're going to indulge in cheeseburgers and Domino's and pizza and tacos, burritos. And as a result, your body is going to fail. Okay. I look at it as a diet of the mind. If you just allow your mind to think about whatever it wants, Mm. it will gravitate towards bad things for a lot of people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have to make a conscious effort. And this is one thing that I've actually done over the past many years is I've recognized that. And every time my mind starts to go down a dark path, I stop. Say, why am I thinking about this? And I refocus my attention on something else. Mm -hmm. So it's a diet for me. It's a diet of the mind. And again, it's so easy for us to just say these words and be like, oh, just do this and you won't be depressed, right? It's not that simple because you've created these pathways between your, your neurons and your brain for so many years. You can't just derail like the snap of a finger and start, you know, create new paths. It takes effort and it takes time. Um, But again, just like with practice, everything else, it it can get better. Absolutely. Just because it doesn't work the first 30 times doesn't mean it's never going to work. You know, it it just takes time and repetition to get through things, just like exercising and everything else. You know, I don't like waking up early in the morning, going to the gym, but I eventually get upset that I can't go. If I have an injury or something, <laughs> then I then I just fall into that habit of yeah. not going. Yeah. And then I have to start all over again. And I fucking hate that. Yep. I, I, I hate going back to the gym because for one thing, you know, if it's been three or four months or something, I'm going to be so disappointed with the amount of weight that I cannot pick up anymore or mm-hmm. move around. And it makes me not want to go. Mm-hmm. I feel that. So I mm-hmm. know what other people go through if they're, you know, overweight and they don't want to be embarrassed because they don't want people taking pictures of them, which mm-hmm. is a whole other conversation, mm-hmm. uh, gym etiquette. Mm-hmm. But there's so many reasons to not go mm-hmm. for people. And there's not many reasons to go other than mm-hmm. I want to be better, but also I don't want to be embarrassed or I don't want to suffer through this, you know, horrendous workout. That's going to make me feel like shit. But sure. at the end of it, you feel great. Sure. You know, I've said it before that it's not 
often that you regret going to the gym or mm -hmm. regret exercising. Mm -hmm. you know? Right. And it's oh, so yeah. good for you. Oh, it's so rewarding. And I, I don't feel like I'm in a position to give advice on depression or anxiety because I haven't gone through it myself, but find your purpose, right? If you're feeling depressed or anxious, you know, try to find a purpose or not only that, but try to change what you're doing, change your environment, change your job, change mm -hmm. your life situation. You know, they say that if a flower is not growing, you don't try to change the flower, you change its environment mm -hmm. that's growing in. Right? right. And I think that can be transposed onto people. If you're not happy and you find yourself depressed, anxious or whatever, try changing external factors as well as inward in your mind. And mm -hmm. maybe, maybe something will happen. I don't yeah. know. I can see a lot of it being social media driven too. If yeah. you're, if you're totally sucked into that world too much oh, yeah. and you're, you know, stuck in that comparison loop or whatever, where you're just always comparing to this person, that person, this person, you know, well, oh, we went to school together. They're doing so much better than me. <laughs> you know, well, it, it, they could appear to be doing better than you. Mm -hmm. That's just their Facebook profile. It's yep. not really, you know, they're not really that happy. That's right. And they might be looking at you thinking the same thing. <laughs> I wish right. I had their life, you know? One thing I did that I do think is helpful that I can give advice on when it comes to social media, just, you know, real quick um, little tip here is... I found when Facebook first came out before that was MySpace and then Facebook and, you know, LinkedIn and then all the social media platforms just kind of blossomed out of nowhere. But Facebook, especially, of course, you're like, oh, I found this friend and I found that friend and I see this person. I haven't seen this person forever. And you start adding all these people. But then what I realized is when I looked through my feed on my wall, oh, man, it was just triggering me just left and right. Doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you sit on or, or what your values or morals are. Somebody has an opinion. And so my entire Facebook, every time I opened it, I was just disgusted. Right. So what I decided to actively do was I went in and I didn't unfriend people, but I just blocked. I don't want to see posts from this person. Mm -hmm. or I don't want to see posts from that. It doesn't matter again, spectrum, morals, whatever, if it's something negative, that was my litmus test. Mm -hmm. If they are posting negative things, I'm blocking their posts for me seeing their posts. Okay. And then in addition to that, I went and I started actively looking for companies that I was really interested in and in technology that intrigues me and math stuff and science stuff and stuff to start learning. Then after that, when I started looking at my Facebook, I was learning and I was, I was like, oh, this is interesting mm. and this is inspiring. Oh, and this company just went public and that's great. I need to check their stock and making it a good, um, good exercise, right? A mm. good event for me to kind of look through my Facebook. And so I encourage people to, if you find people that are constantly posting negative things, just block them <laughs> or block their posts. I mean, you yeah. know. No, I don't delete people often unless I just flat out don't know them or they're posting stupid things that I've never met this person, mm. don't care about what you're posting. Right. You never engage with any of my stuff, so mm. don't need you on my list. But two people I know that I've known for a long time, hung out many times, but for whatever reason, and it could be me, but whenever they comment on something of mine or they, whenever they would, mm -hmm. that it made me feel a certain way mm. and I did not like the way that it felt. Mm -hmm. And I tried to analyze that. Is it me? Am I reading this wrong? Or because mm -hmm. it, it was more of a, a holier than thou kind of look. Or a, as a matter of fact, actually, this is the way things are. Mm -hmm. And you know, even if they are right, it's the matter in which it's presented that mm -hmm. doesn't really sit well with me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing to educate someone or correct someone. But how you do it makes a world of difference, at <laughs> least to me. Maybe not to some people, but to me, it definitely does. And right. it just it just happened every time that I would get a notification and see the person's name, I immediately know oh, this is going to be something I'm not going to enjoy reading. <laughs> exactly. And you know, exactly. and and I'm putting that in my head, mm -hmm. and I have to 
kind of remind myself, hey, it could be positive, but most of the time it's not. <laughs> so I think I messaged both of them. Mm -hmm. I said, hey, you're going to notice that we're not connected anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm just telling you, when you say things on my posts, I don't like the way it feels. And mm -hmm. I'm being honest with you that it could be me and the way I'm taking it, but mm -hmm. I cannot do it anymore. Good for you. And I just have to put that out there. Yeah, it sounds like a, a very professional approach, which is good. And that's communicating as feedback for them. Maybe nobody's told them that before. And then mm -hmm. maybe after you said that, that they thought about it, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, I well, should probably not do this as much. Maybe, but maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> no Who offense does? to them. I yeah, just, but, but you I did know, your I part. Know, I know what, how, how they kind of are, and I, I, just, I don't see that happening, but it's, it's possible. But you did your part, and that's you know, all you can do. Yeah, it's just to make myself, just like you say, I'm, I'm trying to eliminate the negative things, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, mm -hmm. that's something that I didn't like. And I could just as easily delete the freaking Facebook app. You know, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't need it. You know, it's not a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Well, so... I find that people are like, oh, we'll just remove this or delete that or blah, 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 blah. Well, okay, I think that that's not the only option. Like I said, you can evolve whatever you have into mm -hmm. something good. Sure. Right? And I think that depressed people, again, from my observations, they tend to focus on depressed things and make things that make them depressed, right? And so that's, that's you know, like you yeah. said, social media. And yeah, we seem to be drawn towards the negativity. Right. That's why if you, I've caught myself many times scrolling through Facebook, positive thing, positive thing, like this, love this, mm -hmm. great. Somebody shared something very opinionated mm -hmm. and whether I'm on their side or not, I have now stopped and I'm now reading comments. Mm -hmm. And then I read three comments down, this person's take actually mm -hmm. pisses me off. Mm -hmm. I don't even know them. Right. But I'm still thinking <laughs> it's causing me to think about stuff. It's putting me in a bad mood, you know, and, and it's, if you don't catch yourself in the moment, you've wasted 10 minutes, you know, whether you're typing up a response and then now engaging with somebody for the mm -hmm. next hour, you know, whether it's consistent or not, you're still giving that much time to someone else that you don't even know just because they said something to someone else That's that right. you don't like. That's right. Two things. You've wasted your time. And what is the end result? What's going to happen? Do you think that they're going to change? change? <laughs> first of all, <laughs> no. All right. Second of all, we, we circle all the way back to the first thing we talked about is communication. You were communicating through text so how, how is that, how is that going to be received? Yep. You know, so things to think about. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Mike, before we close, do you have any advice that you'd like to share for anyone listening? Just anything at all that comes to mind, whether it's communication or just. Yeah. Again, I think my advice is to get out there and any opportunity that you have to travel, you should take it. And so that you can learn um, that, you know, I think that what I've learned is we live in a bubble, whether we like to admit it or not, or how big or how small our bubble is, we live in a bubble. Mm -hmm. And the more that you get out there, the more that you, I think it was Rob Schneider said this, you know, comedian actor, he's pretty funny. He said, you know, you can watch everything that you watch through the lens of your media, whether it be social media or TV or news or whatever, and you'll get very angry. But if you just walk out your front door and go to your neighbor's house and talk to them in person and shake their hand, you'll find out that people are good people. Right. Mm -hmm. And that resonated with me, you know? And so I think that people need to get out of their comfort zone in terms of engaging with people and any opportunity you can to travel, take it so that you can see different things and different aspects and different perspectives. Beautiful. All right. That's a good place to close. I think. Well, I have one, I have a surprise for you Let's before do it. we close. I brought something. So, I recently moved and I, I came across, fortuitously, came across these things right before we had our podcast. 
Here's a clipping of a newspaper from the Galaxy Club back in the day where we have not only mandatory right here where you were slated to play, but we also have Blind Ambition, the wow. same page. So That is awesome. Yeah. Little piece of history right there. That is so cool. <laughs> I don't know how I've held on to it all these years. And then I was digging, moving stuff, and I found Mandatory's, I'm oh, holding in my hand, Mandatory's crap. The First Sin Demo CD. Uh, track one, The Creature Within. Track two, Killjoy Roy. Track three, The Wanderer. And so I listened to this entire thing um, when I found it. <laughs> oh, shit. Because I was, I was like, I don't have a CD player. Like, how am I going to listen to this? And right. I was moving stuff, and I found a CD player. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. So I put it in, and I continued moving boxes, and I just I was listening to it. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. So I that's got that. That's awesome. And then I also found another CD, Mandatory Live at the Galaxy Club, May 25th, 2002, with some faded pictures of the band members. There's six tracks on this one. Wow. So yeah, there's uh, both Rusty and Brent with long hair on the oh, on the CD man. itself. That's awesome. So there's that as well. Badass. So these are some pieces of history that I found when I was <laughs> moving. That is very cool, man. Isn't I that appreciate neat? that. Yeah. Yes, definitely. That is so Th awesome. Those, those are for you, by the way. Those are, those are yours to keep. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely going to give you back this one just because <laughs> I just found one of those in my closet the other day. Oh, okay. So you hang on to that. All right, so Unless you hate it. No, give no. It to somebody else. No, no, no. I absolutely <laughs> want it. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, Mike, I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate man. your time and uh, good chat. Let's jam, man. Let's do it. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Take care.